suite in their bedrooms, their studios, their best friend's garage or basement. For those who negotiate the system every day to make time for the music that matters. For those who get in debt to fund the fight against the mundane. For those who stay true to their cause even in the face of income and fame from compromise. For those who feel the power of every beat. For those who keep their minds open. For those who encourage and support those pursuing their personal dream. For those who sacrifice relationships to make sure the music is heard. For those for which the music is a lifetime, not a pastime. This is Bass Agenda. This is Lee Coombs and you're listening to Bass Agenda. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to Bass Agenda. Got a packed two-hour show for you this week. Dominated entirely by Lee Coombs from the UK, now based out in Florida. A man who's been in the game over 30 years now and still putting out great music today. In fact, we're sitting on top of something brand new from him right now. A track called Obsidian from his new EP, Obsidian Sounds. Going to hear about Lee, his memories of the early days getting into music. And in the second hour, we've got a nice acid and electro mix put together by the man himself.
was I was mainly in uh, San Francisco when I first came over here. I built up a nice little hub over there. I used to do a lot of um, gigs around the West Coast. Uh, a lot of my network were all kind of heavily into Burning Man and festivals that were kind of sprouting up like that. Um, so I was big on that kind of stuff. And then I met my wife in San Francisco. Um, and it was all amazing. I'm like, wow, this is just like the best thing that's ever happened to me. And uh, she goes, I live in Orlando. <laughs> I think that's probably the only thing that would make you leave like, some, you know, somewhere really significant. <laughs> it's like set, starting a family. You know, I wanted to start a family and, and kind of get out, get away from the craziness for a little bit. I'm from a small village um, in Cambridgeshire called Houghton. And it's near Huntingdon. Right, it, it, you know, it is a fairly small village. It's not the smallest, but it's it's not like living in a city, <laughs> right? It's not London, no. So the only way I could really get out and do what I wanted to do was um, when I got my car, when I got my driving license. That was like the start of Lee Coombs 2.0, right then. So uh, as soon as I got my car, I was out and about, and I'd always been fascinated with the more electronic side of music you know all the kind of dance uh, R&B and soul type stuff as well but when when the first kind of wave of electro and hip-hop came through you know I was like what the hell is this I got you know I started buying the albums trying to try to buy the albums anyway just there was some older older guys in the, in the village <laughs> in the village and uh, you know we I just hear it through them you know and people would have cassette tapes there was uh, some uh, some other kids used to come and visit us just to get out of their places and that's how I got exposed to like early electro and like obviously the films like Breakdance and uh, Beat Street you know all the, all those type of films that's that's when it started really that was when my ears picked up and I was like right there's something else out there and I really want to know about it you know buy the 12s back then because I wasn't a DJ so it was mostly tapes to be honest buying the tapes the DJ thing came along uh, around 19 late 88 early 989 when the sort of acid house wave came through and that was even more exciting that was like oh man this is this is my my home right now uh, and I just made all the efforts in the world to, to, to get be a part of it and you know, as soon as I went to these clubs and events and raves and warehouses and you know whatever there was, it had an, an energy. It, it had a, a, a magnetism and an energy that nothing else had ever had before. And it was it was so vibing. I recognised the the togetherness in it. You know, and it was if you're a certain person of a certain type, you're going to get attracted to it, whether you like it or not, or know about it or not. And all those people just got drawn in like a magnet. And you're like, wow, this is cool. We're, we're at this like, I'm in this place with a bunch of like-minded people. 
instead of being in somewhere else where no like-minded people are, you know? And and it, it, it just brought a, uh, a feeling of, you know, you're in this special club. And the, the, the music just emanated that massively, you know? I was the guy that was standing beside the decks, just watching them. Just like, what is that? What's going on there, you know? And I, I was just, I was just, talk to the DJs and eventually like, I would just get a, a list of some of the tunes that I'd heard and I'd go seek them out in some of the record stores and uh, you know I eventually made my way to start record shopping in London. I'd go to Groove, Groove Records and um, Bluebird, uh, City Sounds, some of the big early stores that had all the cool stuff and I was you know completely hooked. Every single penny that I ever earned went on vinyl, ever. <laughs> Uh, so I would I would just try and get as many gigs as I could, um, at absolutely anywhere, whether it would be a pub or a uh, an event or a house party or anything, just just to spin tunes. You know, we started our own clubs basically. I think I think the way that you really have to get your foot in the door is you get your own thing going. Like you know, you've got your own thing going. We had a little little core of DJs back then. Um, there was a, a rave in Cambridge called Eclipse. And it, it was a quite quite a big rave. It was um, at the Corn Exchange, and I got a little residency there. I played there quite a, um, a few times in the main room, and that was probably my first proper gigs, you know. And then I uh, I moved to London after that, and I got a job at, at Moe's Music Machine, which was one of the underground distributors in. Uh, maybe East London, so they used to do all the all the, the rave, you know, releases. And so I used to go to record shopping, and, I, and some, one day someone came down and said, "There's a there's a job going in the warehouse, picking the orders, or just you know working in the warehouse." And I was like, "I was like, I'll do it." I didn't not not thinking that I'd have to drive two hours to get there every day, but I was just like, "Wow, I, this is a job in the music industry. I'll do it. I'll do it." And uh, I talked to Mo, and Mo actually agreed. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so it was fucking awesome. And then I started doing the West End sales. I used to be the guy driving the van around Soho, uh, selling selling all the twelves or you know all the releases to all the all the West End record shops. That was amazing as well. They were the kind of main distributor that did all the underground like house and garage. You know what were they called? Speed garage back then, like the first wave of it. And it wasn't really my cup of tea, but I did it anyway just because it was such a cool job. And then, I, and then a job um, opening happened at a distributor called Intergroove. Techno, electro, really cool, progressive house music, uh, lots of German and Dutch stuff. Um, immediately the credibility of my van just went up massively, right? And it was awesome. Yeah, the phone never stopped ringing. And I met, I met absolutely everyone through doing that. All the, I mean, there's so many people that I used to deal with back then that all became big DJs or producers or, you know, it was just cool. It's cool to be at the, the, the ground zero of it all, you know. What I got through the, the Intergroup job was the brand new super underground, like techno and electro. I mean, I'm not a big techno head, but I, I used to always gravitate towards the electro and Anthony Rother was a big one that we used to get through there. That's where he started out. Well, I say started it. A lot of his big releases came through there. So 
so it was, it, it was yeah, it's just a big influence on me. And I, I always liked the, the more breaks type um, sound anyway. I was always trying to infuse break beats and make my own kind of uh, blend of acid, breaks and electro. So I, I kind of just, they're all a melting pot for me. But the Intergroove thing was really a big influence and it kind of gave me a goalpost. I'm like, right, this is where, this is where the shit's happening. I got to get my stuff up to this level and beyond, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's when it, it all kind of kicked off. And I think also another, another um, big milestone was when studios went from having to take it to somewhere with a giant mixing desk to being able to do it at home on your own computer. And that's when I started having real success is when I was able to finish music on my own. I didn't have to rely on someone's $100,000 mixing desk, you know? Uh, first, first tune I made was with a friend called Nick Annis and we did a rave EP called The Invisible Men and that was in 1991. Yeah, I've been doing it a while. I mean, I've just been evolving with the, with the music and, and doing it the whole time, really.
Moderat thing was, um, I was just a big fan of their, their music anyway. I want to check, you know, their stuff's not really DJ friendly, it's its own thing. Um, and I, I wanted to make my own mix so I could DJ with it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I do, that's what I do, I just edit things so I can play them. That, that actually uh, is a real recent one. And I, I've been listening to their album. Just, well, it's an unbelievable album. It's a real journey in music. But the production that those guys have got is like something else. They're, like, they're, they're working in space somewhere. Technology we don't know about. Um, so I, I'm like, I love that song. But I, I thought I could, I could do my thing to that and it's gonna, it's gonna work. I could just feel it. So I started chopping it up. And then within about an hour, I had the drum machine going. I had a couple of sounds off the, the Rolands. Um, and immediately it turned into that and I'm like if it happens this quick it's got to be good so you know I just went with it <laughs> if you have to force it then it's not going to work you know? it's uh, it, all my best stuff has all happened in a day like not, not completely finished but the, the, uh, the fundamental layout of it and the idea and all the sounds are all done in a day and then I'm just tweaking it from the next. about 2006, 2007. The reason I chose that is because I wanted to talk about Uberzone. Right now, he's he's a bit of a legendary breaks producer from LA, and his stuff is just next level. You know, he's a, he's also like the mode selector guys. He's one of those producers that just does things that you just like. Wow, how are you doing that? And and I got friendly with him, and I you know I was. DJing a lot in LA and San Francisco, so I used to 
hit him up and like, can I come over and can we make a tune? And we did it two or three times and, and we came up with that. And in the process of us doing that, I, you know, I learned, I learned a lot about how to dial that kind of stuff into my own productions. Yeah, so he's just one of my, uh, one of my production gods that I um, managed to get friendly with and, and, you know, do some fun stuff with as well. Um, pretty big for us back then. Yeah, a lot of people played it. Yeah. It's a good old rave, rave stomper. start of Lee Coombs the third phase really that was um, asked to remix that after I released uh, some some of my early breaks type stuff on finger licking and Pete, Pete, Pete Tong asked if I wanted to do that and I was like oh my god this is dream opportunity because he was he was A&R for London Records he's not only a radio DJ he's a record company man as well and, I, and I'm just did you know what I wanted to do to it and it all worked out really well I was like really inspired by the early um, the real early like Paul Oakenfold Andrew Weverall type mixes you know that whole boys own scene stuff like that and I wanted to kind of bring a little bit of that in but also give it a bit of a techno breaks type feel and it, it just gelled perfectly it's new order you know they got that kind of cool vibe anyway with their music so it just worked out yeah it's um it, it kind of worked out i, I do realize that it is luck of the draw you know if i'd have been asked to remix something else it might not have come out that way at all you know but that one did that one really worked out and it, and it kicked off everything else i got asked to do that everything after that you know?
me personally, of, of my music background and the scene that I'm involved in, that's really like one of the best mixes that I could get asked to do. Dance music royalty right there, you know, and I was just chuffed that they, it worked out so well and they, they liked it so much. They, they even included it on their, one of their box sets. There's a, there's a big four CD box set that has an eagle on the front. Uh, it's, called, it's called Retro, I think. And um, they put it on there. Yeah, so I was like, wow, <laughs> they must really like it. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, Paul Oakenfold got quite excited about all that stuff. And he asked me to do Perfecto Breaks. And that, that, was, that was cool, because he was just really cool about everything. He was like, right, I'm going to give you an advance and I'm going to let you do whatever you want. <laughs> I was like, for real? <laughs> like that. So I got to do exactly what I wanted, and then I toured the world with it. So it all really panned out. So those, those, they're the two biggest things that I've um, done, which created my career. Really, you know, took it to the place where it, where it went, and maybe still is. a DJ called Teo in London he was kind of at the forefront of the new school breaks kind of scene with uh, Remy Pilgrim and Adam Freeland and uh, he set out a label with New State and called Mob Recordings he you know again he just picked up on the stuff that I was making and I got the got the call that 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 was around the same time that might have even been before New Order got friendly with, with all the guys and it worked out good that one doesn't really date at all and I picked the dub mix just because it's more of a stripped down little acid groove. I've always played it. I've never stopped playing it. stuff from Lee Coombs so far nice and varied stuff real sense of nostalgia with some of these selections too we're sitting on top of DJ Technique with my definition this is the Acid Dub remix by Lee after this we're going to get into another track from his new Obsidian Sounds EP and then check out his influences too
Check out my new EP, Obsidian Sounds, on Bandcamp. excited about Bandcamp right now. I know I know you're big on there too. It's it, it saved people like me and you. People that are genuine about their music. It's like the place to, to, to have your hub, you know? I've, yeah, I've got all my old stuff and then I've put a lot of compilation albums of a lot of my old remixes that you just can't get anywhere. Um, like uh, all the ones we've talked about and, and more. Any, anything that's been on vinyl, I've just like started putting the masters up and uh, remastering it and putting it out. Some of some of it's a bit cheeky, but you know, to be honest, that music's not ever getting heard again, so I'm gonna make it get heard. <laughs> and people are liking it, you know? I've had some I've had some good success on Beatport over the years, but generally it's a waste of time because the more stuff that goes up there, the less kind of interaction you get and it's just a it's just a giant Pacific Ocean of dross, you know, generic stuff now. Stop being cool.
the acid rave DJs were playing it back in 88, 89. That was, a, that was a staple of anyone's DJ set back then. You'd hear it five times a night. <laughs> and it, it was so bouncy and different and futuristic to anything that you'd hear on radio or, you know, like Radio 1. No, no Radio 1 never played anything like that, you know? Not back then. Not until Pete, not even when Pete Tong started. He, he, he played a different kind of dance music. Yeah, you'd hear Inner City. You'd hear Good Life. That's a big fun. That's, that's about it. And the reason I picked it is because it was probably the tune that stuck out the most to me immediately, you know, and it made, it made me, I was fascinated in how it was made. Just to get that vibe and that sound and where, where did this come from? Like, what, what were they thinking when they made this stuff? You know, it was alien. It was totally alien. How did it get so that bouncy square wave sound? I mean, I didn't know it was a square wave back then, but now, now I know too much. I can totally dissect it and just knock it out with on my Juno and all that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've killed it for myself. There's no magic left. It's all like just it's all technical stuff now. It, it was immediately like I want to do this. I, it it kind of sparked off that. Right, I'm on a mission. I've got to find out how to do it. I want to get a sampler. We're going to get a computer. We're going to like record it on a crappy tape machine. <laughs> we're going to we're going to we're going to make it and play it at a gig. You know, just to get one play at a gig would be awesome.
Rennie Foster, and you're listening to Base Agenda. know one of the guys from Renegade Soundwave now and it's, it's really nice to, to to kind of talk to him nothing's ever sounded the same as that track ever it's like there is the Phantom and that's it it stands alone in the world you know and it, it's so tribal and you know when, when that tune came on at, 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 a, at a party the place went up a notch even if you've heard it 12, 1200 times, it still went up a notch and everyone's like, right, this is where it's, it's going off now, you know? That kind of feeling that it gave you, I was like intrigued by that. I was like, how the fuck do they do that? It's still, but like, they made they made that back in like 1988. And it, it's just amazing. Just an amazing level of production and 
and skill and, and just togetherness and just getting it sorted back then. Just so that's that deserves a it deserves to win a golden medal. It's an Oscar-winning release. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the the main thing between those two tunes is that they just emanate a vibe. You know, it's, it's like the whole thing I was talking about earlier, like just the whole the, the music just kind of draws in a certain type of person. And there's obviously a lot a lot of other tunes, but I think those they were always special ones for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
they made that thinking about me only when they made that. <laughs> they didn't, but it's so perfect for what I like that I'm like, they must have been thinking about me when they made that. <laughs> it's just funny. It's one of their best uh, of, of ever, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a Goosebumps tune. I love that record. Yeah. It's, it's a melting pot of everything. It's got, you know, it's got, it's got an old school flavour with the Egyptian lover vocals. It's got the hard floor acid type feel to it and the, 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 the whole rhythm section of it, like the drum machine sounds and all that, are just so cool. It's, it's really next level, you know? It's, you know, some people might think, oh, I've heard all that before, but it's just one of the best. the Egyptian lover, Health, P-E-L-F. Gonna keep the pace up a bit longer with a track from the Freakazoids. Freakazoid, right Amazing project from uh, Lee Coombs, Kevin Lancaster and Nick Slater. This was the uh, bonus track from their uh, 2015 In Freaks We Trust album. The track is called The Freak.
went through at least 15 years of struggling. You know, like le trying to learn the hard way. There was all I. There was not even anybody that could really teach me. I, I used to make music with various people and just watch them pressing the buttons and be like, "All right, what, what are you doing there?" You know, and they're they're just they're just trying to get it done. So they're not even really telling me what's going on. And my my department used to be. I used to have some ideas and I would bring some vinyl round and we'd sample loops off it. And you know, I didn't have a 909 or an 808. I bought 303 in like 1994, I think, or 93. So in the real early days, I just have to, the only way to make music is go to somewhere that they were already properly set up and doing it, you know? If the, if the inspiration dries up, just gotta leave the room. Um, and often if I'll go and uh, listen to some other type of music or watch, you know, I don't know, do something else. Um, maybe go get some food and, you know. And then maybe just leave it for the day and come back, you know. I have ideas that build up inside my head. They just start banging on the on the wall, like, I've got to get out, I need to get this idea out. And then as long as I've got the energy to do it, because that's another thing as well, if you're feeling all, you know, kind of worn out, it, it, it is a lot of effort to get this stuff going and a lot of thought. You've got to make sure that all the buttons are being pressed at the right time to make it flow. As long as those things align, then it's good. made a mistake when they made the new Blade Runner film they used Hans Zimmer and they should have used Doppler effect it is Blade Runner like I'm visualizing Blade Runner when I see when I listen to that music well it, it all boils down to what does it sound like you know what does it make you feel like when you hear this stuff and that's a that's a concept album it's not like any one track you've got to listen to the whole album it's like it's dark as hell it's so odd and weird and techy and it's got like it's like an orchestra from like the fifth dimension you know it's it's a it's it's one of the most original pieces of uh, electro and kind of music without even any percussion in it as well it's got no beats i think the vibe is there with that one
bought a new set of techniques. I've got the new ones, which I'm really excited about. And I've been spinning, uh, spinning all my vinyl, new and old. I've been doing some of my streams on my own, but what I've been having the most fun with is joining in with other people and doing like a, you know, like a mini festival. It seems to seems to work better like that. You get you get a bit more interaction. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. A lot of friendly people. I did a thing last week. I did a stream. There's a new uh, bunch of guys called the Gemini Music Festival. When the COVID, when the Rona stops, they're going to be uh, putting putting festivals on and things like that. And they're, you know, I'm friends with all those guys, so uh, we we did a stream last week and it was it was successful. It was good. I just think everybody's got to have a little pause and start thinking outside of the box because this could happen again at some point. You know, you've got to, you've got to have a little safety net. Yeah, it's kind of it's horrible. I'm I'm hearing really tragic stories of people that have got family members that have you know like had the worst th things happen to them, and uh, I just hope that it doesn't happen to me and my family and us, you know, people I know and and everybody else. It's it's just a real horrible situation. No, it's hit everybody. I mean, it's not genre specific. It's the whole entertainment industry that's just cancelled. I've been trying to do things which involve. It's grabbed people's attention. Like I put up, uh, I put up a whole song on Bandcamp, and I, I put up the stems as well, and I called it "Don't Leave the House," and uh, it's, it, it, you know, people could just remix it, do a remix right now. You know, a lot, quite a lot of people grabbed hold of that idea, uh, but it's, it's, it's nice when you, you get reactions back from people. They start thanking you for giving them cool ideas and giving, you know, little things to do because a lot of people are really bored well they were they were just trapped in the house Lee Coombs for the interview. Now it's time for his guest mix. Just slipping into that now. Lots of nice acid house stuff. Moving on into electro. Thank you. 
This is Missoula, and you are listening to the wonderful Bass Agenda. Skirts all day long. That's right. 
sucking up dust, eating glue.
electronic and dance music. DeepSpaceRadio.com
What's up, y'all? This is Paris the Black Fool of the Detroit Grand Poobahs, and you're listening to Base Agenda. Thank you. 
from Lee Coombs. Love and thanks out to him again for taking part in Bass Agenda. If you enjoyed the mix and if you enjoyed the Freakazoid stuff I played you earlier, make sure you go back into the uh, Bass Agenda archive as well. It was a great mix from uh, Lee from back in 2015, just before the release of the uh, In Freaks We Trust album project. Really, really cool stuff. That was uh, episode 73, I think. As usual, the full show plus the track list will be up over the weekend at some point on bassagenda.co.uk Also on soundcloud.com slash bassagenda and the uh, iTunes podcast feed as well. Deep Space Radio are going to keep playing the uh, archive shows each Friday until uh, towards the end of next month when I'll be welcoming back DJ Digital, one of the most distinctive and interesting Detroit electro artists out there. A lot of fresh stuff from him. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.